today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. Works requires effort and sweat and pressure to produce, whereas fruit simply requires time to grow. It's the difference between growth and production. Where there is work, there will be pressure, stress, and the drive to produce, whereas with fruit there is beauty and there is tranquility. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Barag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Galatians. How hard it is for us to rest in God, letting Him do the work that we often try to do in our own strength. Today, Pastor J.D. teaches how fruitless it is to say we'll try and do better next time when we fail. The only way to grow and mature is by abiding in Christ. Does your life resemble one that's full of work and striving or one of rest and relationship? Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now, here's Pastor J.D. in Galatians chapter 5 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. God's Word tells us that sin is pleasurable for a season. I mean, it has to be, right? I mean, if sin was not pleasurable, Satan's out of business. <laughs> How's he going to tempt us if sin isn't pleasurable? Well, see, he comes along and he wants to substitute his, you know, fake peace, his fake joy, his fake love with a perverted substitute. And the promise is always, oh, and by the way, it goes back to the garden. Hath God said, the serpent says to Eve, hath God said. In other words, he he comes in and he presents this counterfeit, and with it he tries to convince you that this will satisfy you more than that which God has given you, and in fact, God is holding out on you. God doesn't want you to be happy. Here, this will make you happy. She will make you happy. He will make you happy. The truth of the matter is, not only will these cheap substitutes never fill the void in our lives, they actually leave us even emptier than we were before. And I think just as I say that, you know exactly what I'm talking about because you've experienced that. You're emptier than you were before. I don't know if you noticed this or not, but we have an irony here, an irony of all ironies. It's that feeding the flesh will starve us spiritually in the end. The more I feed the flesh, the more I starve the spirit. 
The more I feed the lusts of the flesh, the hungrier and thirstier I become for that which is able to satisfy my soul. And you can fill in the blank, whatever it is in your life, in your heart, before the Lord. Some people try to fill that with money. Some people try to fill it with sexual pleasure. Some people try to fill it with, and again, you fill in the blank, and it never satisfies. And the reason it will never satisfy is because that's not how God made us. The only way for us to be satiated in our souls is to be fed in the Spirit. Here's how it works. The more I feed the Spirit, the more satiated I'll become. And here's what happens. It curbs my appetite for the lusts of the flesh. Why? Because I'm so full to overflowing of the Spirit. I have just satiated the appetite of my soul, and so now I'm not so tempted by the lusts of the flesh. What you feed is what will grow. Right? I know that's a firm grasp of the obvious, but this simple and vital truth cannot be overstated in the Christian life. I'll either feed the lusts of the flesh, which will grow strong in my life and overpower me, or I'll feed the Spirit and bear much fruit in my life, which will empower me. Let me say that again. Feed the lusts of the flesh, I'll be overpowered. Or, it's either or, it's not both. Either I feed the lusts of the flesh and am overpowered, or I feed the Spirit and am empowered. Now, if you're anything like me, and I believe that you are, (laughs) what do you want to be? Overpowered or empowered? I want to be empowered. So now I need to feed the Spirit and starve the flesh. I want to point something else out here that relates to this contrast between the word works and the word fruit. And here's why. Works requires effort and sweat and pressure to produce, whereas fruit simply requires time to grow. It's the difference between growth and production. Where there is work, there will be pressure stress, and the drive to produce, whereas with fruit there is beauty and there is tranquility. One of the best books I've ever read is Why Grace Changes Everything. It's by Pastor Chuck Smith, and in it he draws this outstanding comparison to a garden and a factory. And if you'll permit me, I just want to share some of what he wrote. 
He says, it's important to realize that God doesn't come to his factory looking for products. He comes to his garden to enjoy its fruit. The gospel of grace invites us to leave behind the smog and pressure of a factory-like life of works and instead bear the fruit that God desires to see in the garden of our lives. He goes on to write, Look at that luscious fruit hanging on a peach tree. The peaches aren't out there struggling and working day by day trying to get ripe. All they have to do is hang in there. Ripening is the natural product of relationship. As long as they are abiding, they are going to bring forth sweet fruit. Did you catch that? (laughs) Here's the question I ask of myself. The question is, does my Christian life resemble that of a factory, or does it resemble that of a beautiful garden? And I have to confess that more times than not, It's more like that factory where I'm operating and functioning in the energy of my own flesh, in the energy of my own strength, and not in the power of the Holy Spirit. One of the best uh, illustrations I ever heard And I don't remember who it's from. It might have been Charles Spurgeon. So here's how it goes. To give you an example of the works of the flesh. Okay? You have this boat, and it's on the beach, and you're trying to push it into the water. And try as you may, it takes so much effort, it takes so much strength, you don't have enough manpower, you enlist help, and so you've got all these guys that are trying as hard as they can to push this boat into the water, and they can't. And then along comes the tide. And the tide comes in and effortlessly takes that boat and puts it in the water. That's the difference. That's the difference. I I think I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, but the Christian who is trying harder to be a better Christian, well, let me, in the context of our study today, say it this way. It's as absurd as a fruit on a tree grunting, How weird would that be if you walked by a tree and you heard the fruit going, trying to grow in its own strength? It can't. All that fruit has to do is just abide effortlessly. This is what Jesus said in John's Gospel, chapter 15. Let me read it, verses 4 and 5. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself 
unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. And then he says this, For without me you can do nothing. You can do nothing. Now for those of us who are type A and you know who you are, (laughs) this just goes against everything that we're about. Because we want to do it in our own strength. And oh, how often God has brought me to the end of myself, the end of my strength, where I've just had to throw up my hands and surrender and say, God, I can't. And I just imagine God in heaven ever so gently and patiently and lovingly and compassionately saying to me, well, it's about time. Now I can. See, before I couldn't. We say, nothing is impossible for God. Well, I would submit that it is impossible for God when it's still possible for us. Because when it's still possible for us, it's hands off to God. So what we're basically saying is, God, I got this. I just, again, I just picture God just going, okay. You know, all the angels given charge concerning me going, oh no, here we go again. This guy just doesn't get it. How many times does he have to bludgeon himself in the energy of his own strength, his own might, his own power? Zechariah 4, 6. Not by might, not by power but by my Spirit, says the Lord. Matthew chapter 7. Listen to what Jesus said about the fruit on the tree of our lives. He says this, verse 16. You will know them by the bumper stickers on their cars. No, it doesn't say that. If your Bible says that, will you see me after? (laughs) No, you will know them by their fruits. And then he says this. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. That's how they're going to know us, by the fruit on the tree of our lives. John 13, verse 35, seals the deal. Jesus says, by this, all will know that you are my disciples. If you have love, One for another. That's the fruit of the Spirit. You show me a Christian that has this love, and I'll show you a Christian that is a disciple and a follower of Jesus Christ, that is being conformed in the image of Jesus Christ because he is love. Not he has love. He is love. That's who he is. And by the way, if you want to do this, in 1 Corinthians 13, 
just try to put your name after love is patient. Just put your name instead of love. JD is patient. <laughs> it just, it, you'll, you'll get only to like one verse and then it's so laughable that you have to just, you know, say, <laughs> but whose name can you put in there? Jesus. Jesus. And that's how they're going to know. That's how they're going to know. It's by our love, one for another. I'm going to close this way. The fruit of love on the tree of our lives is how we'll be known as disciples of Jesus. Now, if that's true, and it absolutely is, then we need to ask ourselves, How is it then that we can grow the fruit of love in our lives? Answer, feed the Spirit by simply abiding in Christ. That's the only way to mature in Christ and grow in grace. Let me just lastly provide three verses that explain, for lack of a better way of saying it, the nuts and bolts of this. How do you abide in Christ? How am I to feed the Spirit? Well, again, very simple, maybe too simple. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 4, verse 4, listen to what Jesus said. When tempted by the devil to fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Listen to what he said. He'd been fasting 40 days, 40 nights, starving almost to death, by the way. And Satan comes up to him and says, Hey, why don't you take those rocks, of which there were many there, where he was, and why don't you, you have the power to do it, why don't you turn them into some bread? I bet that would be so delicious for you right now. That'll satiate you. You're starving to death. Why don't you turn it to bread? Listen to what Jesus says. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He's quoting the Pentateuch. He's quoting the word of God. Man shall not live by bread alone. There's the spiritual bread of life that feeds the Spirit in our life. Romans 10 verse 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. You sort of get the impression here, I don't mean to, how do I say this? I don't want to sound, I hope this doesn't come off as condescending, but do you see the emphasis on the importance of the Word of God? This is our lifeline, man. I don't know how it is possible for a Christian, especially in this day and age in which we live, to survive without feeding on the Word of God. That's the only way faith comes. Maybe the reason why oftentimes we're so prone to become so weak in our faith is because 
we're famished spiritually. We're not in the Word, and the Word is not in us. Maybe it's because we've filled ourselves with what the world has to offer, and it's sort of spoiled our appetite for the things of God. Acts 2.42, you know, we always talk about, well, the early church this, we need to be more like the early church. Well, <laughs> there's two sides to that. Uh, that's a double-edged sword, but that's another topic for another time. But you know what they did? They devoted themselves, Acts 2.42, to the apostles' teaching, that's the Word of God, and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, that w- those were the agape feasts, as they called them at the time, and to prayer. That's the four legs on the Christian table of our lives. If that table is going to stand strong, it's the Word of God, it's fellowship, it's the breaking of bread, and it's prayer. Uh, one last thing. I was thinking about this on the way here today. You know when the, when the writer of Hebrews tells us, exhorts us, warns us really, not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as is the custom of some? He's talking about, don't stop going to church. Interesting word, though. He uses the word assemble, and that changes the whole complexion of the exhortation. I'll explain why. So I have a a watch. Actually, it's a Timex. takes a licking and keeps on ticking. (laughs) No, I'm serious. It is a Timex. $30. Actually, $29.99 I got it for. Yeah. Great watch. So... It's assembled, and it's functioning. Now imagine, if you will, that I have this watch unassembled, and I just gather all of the parts together, the, the intricate parts, those, those really small parts within it, and I have the face and the instruments and the band, and I just gather them all together. It's not functional. It's dysfunctional, Right? When Paul says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, what he's talking about is as different parts of the same body, we are assembled together, and that's how we function. And if you forsake that, and you're not assembled together, then you're not operating. You're not functioning. By the way, that's exactly what Satan wants to do in our lives, is to get us away from God's people, because He wants to get us away from God. I think we do rob ourselves and we do err greatly when we forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as some do. Galatians opens our eyes to the potential and sadly the reality of false teachers. They're clever, there's no doubt about it. They can work their way into any area, saying just what needs to be said to get by, and then leaving their trail of deception for us to follow. How do we avoid these false teachers? By knowing God's Word and staying firmly rooted in the love and truth He teaches us. We're so glad you joined us today on In Spirit and Truth. We'd love to meet you in person. We have an open invitation to join us for our weekly services here at Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. We gather each Sunday and Thursday. You'll find more information at inspiritandtruthradio.com. 
Just click on Calvary Chapel Kaneohe at the bottom of the page. Would you like to hear more teachings from Pastor J.D.? You can find them online at InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com. But we also have more convenient ways to keep up to date with these messages. Did you know you can take In Spirit and Truth on the go by downloading our mobile app? In our fast-paced world, it's easy to let the time we'd spend in the Bible slip into the back of the line of things to get done in a day. When you download our mobile app, however, you'll have verse-by-verse studies in the Bible available right at your fingertips to listen to whenever and wherever you go. You'll find a link to the app at inspiritandtruthradio.com. That's all we have for today's message. Join us next time to keep searching the scriptures for God's goodness in Galatians, right here on In Spirit and Truth. Keeping me right with you, holding me true.